This is your moment. Your moment to move forward and make progress. It's time to see where an education can take you. For over 130 years, Strayer University has been at the forefront of change, offering programs that help students like you get ahead and stay ahead, so you can keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by Chef. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Miles to Memories podcast. I'm Sean Coomer, your host, joined as always by Joe Chung from As the Joe Flies and Disney Deciphered. It's 2024 still, Joe, I guess. We did we record this? We already recorded our New Year's show, but this is our second show of 2024. So that's fun. Yes, what's up? I think we recorded on New Year's Day last time. So in the full January swing, actually, Sean, I was going to put this on the show notes, but in a couple of weeks, did I tell you this, that I'm going on Icon of the Seas? And I had a question for you. One thing I find with these cruise lines is like, I don't, like, I just don't have the familiarity with like checking in and stuff like that. So like, is Royal Caribbean's app, is it like any good? Because I'm only familiar with Disney's cruise app and it sucks. So let's back up a little bit, Joe. Icon of the Seas is Royal Caribbean's brand new ship. And it's a new ship and a new class of ships. So this is a, a very highly anticipated ship because many people who know the cruise industry, Royal Caribbean has been pushing the boundaries on ships for decades now, right? They're the ones that everybody else copies when it comes to adding new things to ships and the size of ships and everything. So Icon of the Seas is a big deal. And uh, of course, you're rubbing it in. Yeah, you're rubbing <laughs> it, like it in. It's wasted on me. I'm uh, questioning my choices of not becoming a travel agent just so I could go on that. No, I mean, it looks amazing. If people haven't seen this, they should go look at the concept art of this. It looks like an amusement park at sea. There's so much up on the deck to do, and this is just a massive cruise ship. So it really maybe is the next generation of what you'll start to see from other cruise lines because Royal Caribbean does that. I found Royal Caribbean's app to be really good. They have digital reservations in the app, everything that you would expect from a modern cruise app. And I've never had any issues with it, like with Virgin, where it worked as far as it had all the functionality built into it. But when a lot of people were using it, it would just air out. Royal Caribbean never had that issue. And during COVID on Royal Caribbean, you had to do everything in the app, even like just to go into a show, like the main theater shows, you had to reserve that. So they have all that functionality built in, even though you don't need to do that anymore for like main style theater shows on most ships, some ships you do. But yeah, I'm totally jealous, Joe. You're going to have a great time. And we're going to Royals Private Island, Coco, I mean, Perfect Day at Coco Cay. Have you been there? Any recommendations for that? Perfect Day at Coco Cay is great. It's my favorite private cruise ship island. So I've been to a couple of carnivals, either private resorts or private islands. I've been to MSCs. I haven't been to Norwegians, but believe it or not, that's actually right next to Coco Cay. So I've seen it. And none of those really compare. I've also been to Labadee, which is Royal Caribbean's other sort of private island. 
And Perfect Day at Coco Cay is levels above all of that. Uh, obviously, you have beaches everywhere, and there's some pools. In fact, there's a great pool there, really nice water play area for kids. All that's free. We also have a lot of premium stuff like a water park there. Based on the amount of time you have there, I wouldn't pay for the water park. Although maybe if you want to do it for your case, just so you could tell clients and stuff, that might be a reason to do it. Lots of big water slides, but it's just enormous. And they can pull up two of their giant ships there, which I think can have upwards of 12,000 people. I've been there when there's like 10,000 people and it didn't feel crowded because it's so big and, you know, get further away from the ships and there's plenty of spaces to go. Really nice day. Good food everywhere. Highly recommend. You'll have a lot of fun at Coco Cay. Of course, it's supposed to be Coco Key, though, isn't it? So they kind of messed up with that rhyming. But yeah, we'll I don't like it. that. I don't like that, but that's how they pronounce it. So, you know, they're not saying perfect D at Coco Key. So, yeah, somebody got clever and they did it. it it's, it's really nice. Again, like we talked about with the ships, how they're taking ships to the next level. And they've been doing that for a while. Coco Key feels like uh, they did that with private islands. And Coco Key did exist before it was perfect day at Coco Key. It was just sort of a normal cruise ship private island. And then they spent... Over $100 million, I think, uh, to renovate and add that water park and do all the other stuff. And now we're seeing Carnival building some new ones. Disney is adding more features on their new private thing. So, again, things are changing. While we're on the subject of cruising, I logged into my Carnival account yesterday and didn't have anything. But I logged into my wife's Carnival account, and she had a free balcony room offer from the Fun Match. Now, she did the Fun Match three years ago, redeemed her free balcony, but it did say carnival fun match up to a free balcony. Now, when I looked, most dates were free insides, but there were some that had a free balcony. But what's more interesting, Joe, is I went into my son's account. He did the fun match and never got an offer. And this was about two years ago. He also has that same free up to a balcony room. So I don't know what's going on. Again, I don't have it. People should just check their accounts, I suppose. But it's interesting that my wife gets it. And maybe if you haven't had free cruises or you never got an offer check, because you might get it. And I guess I got to tell my son that he has a free cruise and have him go somewhere and take advantage of it. Is he 21 yet? Because I've been just, I've been working with various clients. Like I have a few clients doing group cruises this summer, one with Norwegian and one with Royal. And I found that if you're 18, you can technically be in a room by yourself, but you still have to have like a parent or guardian nearby. And the different cruise lines have like different rules about it and the people are bringing friends too and i'm like oh do you need to get an affidavit so i think that's one thing you know you think when you're 18 you can do everything but then a lot of these cruise lines you have to be 21 to actually sail by yourself and without a parent or guardian it sucks for those of us who grew up fast right because i remember being young i was out on my own when i was young and jasmine and i would go even like here locally we'd go do like a staycation or something and before i was 21 couldn't stay in the casinos because they wouldn't allow you to do that, or most of them wouldn't. So we'd have to go drive somewhere to to be able to stay in a hotel. My son is 23, so he is old enough to do that. But it's interesting, right? Because on the high seas, they follow basically U.S. law. So to drink or gamble, you're 21. And so I suppose that's probably what it's about, making sure everything's safe. And I don't know that you really want like solo 18-year-olds running around a cruise ship anyway. There's a lot of trouble to be had, so probably not a bad idea. But also, it kind of sucks. Like when you're an adult, especially if you're kind of out on your own, when you're young, you're more mature, you can't rent a car without a surcharge, you can't stay in hotels, can't go on a cruise by yourself, you know, but you can fight in the military. Isn't that the old argument? Why, why can't you do the rest? And buy cigarettes. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's tough. At least 
Who knows? Who knows how archaic? It's, it's funny though. When I was 23, I was like, why do I have to pay a surcharge to rent a car? But now that I'm 43, like, I get it. You drive different before when you're younger. So, but that being said, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. Hey, I didn't drive different when I was younger, so I don't know. No, I, you know, it all makes sense. It all makes sense. And it's nice when you don't have to deal with that once you hit the age. But, you know, being a young traveler, I think there's a lot of people in this hobby, right, that are young travelers that, especially in this age of social media, and they're able to get this information sooner about travel and miles and points, and they get a grasp on how credit works. I know, you know, we've met people in the hobby that are very young, but I feel like there's more and more younger people getting into this and sort of hitting out in the world in a way they never would have before. Like, how would they have ever been able to go travel at 18 or 19? But if you play your cards right, you can start to do free trips and start to do this stuff. And even, you know, when you're in your early 20s. And uh, so I think there's more and more of those people out there, those sort of solo travelers or ones doing with friends that are going to more exotic places. Because when I grew up, like, even being on my own and stuff, we didn't have the ability to go very far. And now I think about these people who are, you know, early 20s into miles and points. The world is really their oyster. They can go anywhere. And, you know, on one side, that's really good. On another side, that could be problematic. But overall, probably a, a much better world to come up in, I guess, as far as travel goes. I mean, people always traveled when they were younger, like especially in Europe and stuff like that, right? You take a gap year and you go backpacking or whatever. Now the difference is that, you know, we just have the means, right? Like even if you're an American student, most American high school seniors don't take a gap year, but some do every once in a while and go travel. But usually when you say that you're like traveling in hostels or doing whatever, you know, now it's like crazy, right? You're 18, you could graduate high school, you can go travel, you don't have to stay in hostels because you can get credit card points if you want. And hey, if you get a viral TikTok or Instagram account and you know you start getting money from that all of a sudden you have a job so it's just it's just bizarre you know <laughs> we're we're uh you and me we're that generation where the tech just started blowing up you know we were on AOL and stuff like that uh like we bring up all the time that we are old and it's just crazy the different opportunities that are offered to younger people now and as far as the you know 25 year old for rental cars and 21. Not that those are necessarily good or bad, not passing any moral judgment on those rules, but you can tell that they're from like an antiquated or at least older, different generation, different generation, different, like there are rules that apply to a different time in life. Yeah, I think it's fascinating too. And just trying to keep up with how the world changed in regards to travel. I think another big thing for younger people, and I guess for everybody in general, but younger people kind of getting their first look at how they're going to see the world is when we were coming up or even when I was about to take my first round the world trip with my family in 07, you know, you know, some big places you want to go, right? You want to see the Eiffel Tower, you want to see the Great Wall of China, those sorts of things. But you don't know about all the little things that you're going to discover along the way. And there was things like Lonely Planet or Rough Guides. And those were, you know, travel guides. And I guess they still exist. But now social media just is so prevalent. And People are obsessing about traveling to places that are so obscure and to see things that are so obscure. And it's just fascinating how I, I, I just wonder how I would have developed had I had access to all of that in those really formative years where I was lusting after travel for the world, you know, especially from the time we made the decision to travel. We had about nine months before we left and I was just soaking up everything. And there was blogs. Yes. Uh, but so there was some information. The Internet did help. But 
you weren't bombarded like you are now with social media. And I do wonder if some of the specialness is lost with that, because I remember just discovering so much that I didn't know existed. I remember driving around the U.S. the first three months of that trip and just realizing the more I traveled, the less I see, right? The more time I had to travel, the more I realized there was to see and that I would never see it all. I could just travel forever and I would never see it all. But there was so much surprise along the way. And now everything is sort of out there, I guess. And in many ways, having been to a lot of the places that are portrayed on social media, it's not real. So I wonder if there's like a letdown for people, especially younger people who are traveling for the first time when they go to some of these places that have been hyped up so much, or if they really just get the satisfaction of being able to take their selfie there. And that's really what's important to them. And that's where they get fulfillment. I don't know. But it's just fascinating to see how it's all changed. Yeah, I mean, we're getting so like existential, but it's like in the age of social media, I just feel like travel, it's so much different because you have to document everything. You know, even if you don't want to, you just feel like pressure to document everything. Like, Sean, I don't, so my family didn't do this, but when I married into Jess's family, I remember, I, maybe we hadn't been, maybe we weren't married yet, but I just remember that like her dad, had went to Kodak or whatever and had like those, you know, he had one of those slideshow things with the the little slides and you could do a clicker and you like project it on a screen and you like click through. I remember seeing that at least like once uh, amongst their family. And that's, oh, and then when I was back home over the holidays, I found an old, we were talking about maybe visiting Banff sometime in the next few years in Canada. And I found the album when just my sister and myself when we were in college went with my parents and you know it was it was weird i know i know people still make like paper albums or you can i mean shutterfly does a great job or photo affections or whoever they do great stuff with that but it's just so different something about like immediately seeing the picture that you took do you remember when like you used to be not sure if your picture was good and stuff like that or like you had no idea that your finger was in the way and so I, I think it really has changed the way people travel and the way people process the things they travel. I mean, we talked about that article a few months ago about is travel bad, or I can't remember exactly what the premise of the article, but it was some kind of clickbaity headline. And I do think sometimes with all the social media stuff, it's tough to just enjoy the place that you're visiting because you feel like you always have to document it. You know, whenever I get food, I whip my phone out and take a picture of it. Uh, you know, the camera eats first um, and, and it's just... I don't know. I'm still not totally used to it yet, even though I do all of that. Yeah, I've had some backlash personally against it where I've tried not to share things. From your wife? Things. No, about just my, my, my own personal feelings. Back, my wife gives me backlash when I'm taking too many pictures. and I, guess, I, I mean, I, at least like I can use that as an excuse. But sorry, go ahead. I cut you off. If anything, Jasmine's too forgiving of it, and she's too used to it because we've been doing this for so long. And, you know, I've over 10 years of doing this full time. So, and we blogged and I did it all part time and for fun for years before that. So, so much of our lives have been out there and through like that year and a half trip we just did with Ellie or being gone a lot of the year and a half, a lot of the stuff I didn't share on social media because I didn't want to. And that's sort of where I'm at. You know, I share a lot and I put a lot out there, but I don't always want to have to share what I did. And I do take pictures. That's the one thing that I've gotten in a habit of well before social media existed, dating back to family around the world and doing it was taking pictures because I do love looking pictures and videos and looking at all that stuff, but I don't always feel the need to share and I don't feel the need for validation. That said, it is, you know, fun sometimes to share some of the cooler places 
And in Vegas, I'm constantly doing it, which, you know, I guess it's more work and some of the fun. I don't know. I just feel like there will be a backlash. People will start to value their privacy. And I don't know. Do you think that it's just people want the validation from others about what they do? Because that's never been about what I do. I don't really care about the validation. I do like I'm very nerdy about travel, so I do like to share cool hotels and cool things. But I feel like a lot of the younger people and maybe even older people now because of social media, and I feel like this is a dark side, is they require validation. Some people, yes, they're flexing. I went here and there. But I don't even think that's the majority of it, especially not in this community. I think it's just validation. I want everybody to tell me what a good job I did or how cool that is. And I want to go home when everybody you know, I know in real life saw on Facebook that I went to this amazing place so I can talk about it. I'm kind of the opposite. When I'm at a party with people I know and they, they start, oh, you're the travel guy, I shut down pretty quickly. I would rather not talk about it. It's it's so weird how I am compared to everybody else. But there's nothing wrong with it. And I think I'm probably the one in the wrong. But uh, yeah, share your travels. That's what I say. If you like to. I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think it's right or wrong. And we do live in the internet phase. I, I wonder if the generation before us just thinks about it differently because they are like – we are human, right? So we are conditioned to want positive feedback, you know, and that positive feedback loop informs our decisions. The difference between us and our kids growing up, uh, maybe not Sean Reese, but, you know, Ellie, the younger kids that we have growing up, is that that feedback is now instant, right? And I think that has really not just changed the way we travel, but changed everything. So I don't think that's right or wrong, though. You and me both being introverts, yes, we can talk about it fine. We're on the podcast, and it's just the two of us, and we don't have to see any of the hundreds of people listening to this right now. But in a room, I know you speak at conferences and stuff like that, but still, in a room, like there's just there's just only a certain amount you want to talk about, unless it's like a place that you really love. You know, sometimes when you have a place that you travel to that you really want to evangelize about, then it's easy to talk about. But you know, for me, a lot of time, I agree, I just want to shut down just because I'm an introvert. I think ultimately, I don't want to sound like an old man, like, like, we are where we are now. And I think that's just how travel is going to be. If I could end this existential segment, Sean, though, with one thing that drives me nuts. And I know you know this, Sean, anyone on Slack, with me knows this if you're gonna post a picture of somewhere say where it is like i like that is what i hate about social media i hate when people are like oh if you know you know it's like why are we why are we gatekeeping this information just share so i can so i can like it i refuse to like it if you don't share where it's from geolocate yourself I say just be vague just to piss Joe off because it, it happens oh, all the time you'd be shocked me. at how often this happens it drives <laughs> me so nuts it drives me so nuts, you know, because because like I mean, ultimately, the good thing about the theoretical democratization of the internet is that all the information is out there, and you know we can all share it. And that's why it drives me bananas when you don't geolocate, you know, especially especially if you post pictures of pizza. Like I really want to know where that pizza is from so I can eat it. Okay, whether it's from you know Italy or just some random mom and pop shop in Connecticut or something. So. Ah, triggered. Deep breaths, Sean. Deep breaths. I was a little disappointed in you when I sent you the video of the people mover at the Houston airport, the Disney built people mover, and you didn't know what that was just by seeing it. So, you know, I keep testing you, Joe. One of these days, you know, you'll, you'll figure it out. 
if it's if it's if it's personally sending it to me to test me, that's okay. But if you're sending it to the ETH, because you know, and I, that's the crazy thing about social media, right? Like people are farming for engagement. I'm not saying that everyone who does this stuff is, but you know, people like now Twitter is like a mess, right? People are always like reply with your uh, favorite movie scene, and then like it's just farming and farming engagement, and engagement. I think not posting where you're going and getting people to like ask you and stuff like that is going to do that too. But anyway, enough, enough ranting. Old old man yells at cloud. Old Joe yells at cloud. So let's talk Alaska Airlines and their crazy incident that happened. First off, I want to propose a new law that says that airlines are not allowed to write about a Max airplane without putting the word Max in there. Because when this happened, Alaska Wait, and everything out, that they said. What? Yeah, time out. Just trigger warning. If you don't, if you're like nervous about flying, don't want to hear about this stuff, we're going to talk about it airplane incident maybe fast forward oh i'll put it in the show notes fast forward to the next uh section but sorry continue and i agree you must put the word max in there because it feels like false advertising to not have it in there yeah i mean everything i saw early on was 737-9 aircraft these are max aircraft and of course the airlines don't want to use the word max because of everything that happened before but basically in alaska airlines 737 nine max or max nine i forget which order you say it in uh they have this situation where they can go with very dense configurations where they need an extra emergency exit and just depending on how the airline configures it there is an emergency exit towards the back of the plane that alaska has decided to configure without it because they don't need it because of their seat configuration and the laws that say how many exits you need per passenger So they plug it. Basically, this is a door that's plugged with a window. So it's like a dummy door, but it's not like a hole in the aircraft. And what happened about six minutes on about six minutes into this flight from Portland is that door just blew out. It blew out. They don't really know yet how it happened. Uh, There were some issues with depressurization in this aircraft three different times. There were depressure or there were pressurization warnings. So that could have had something to do with it. The shape of the door is supposed to prohibit it from going out. Just think about an emergency exit door. It's not supposed to just blow out in the middle of a flight. So there's a lot of sort of investigation that has to happen here. It's nuts. I mean, just imagine flying and a door just blows out of the side of the plane. This is a huge hole in the side of the plane. Luckily, nobody was sitting in that seat right there. I believe they probably would have been killed if they were. I read that a kid had a shirt sucked off of him. Lots of devices flew out of the window, obviously. The the wind was so strong that it blew the cockpit door open into the lavatory door, and a lot of the equipment flew out of the cockpit too. So this is not a good scenario. It's another example of a Boeing plane being unsafe, and we're not going to jump to conclusions here, but I don't recall this ever happening in the history of aviation where a door just blows off and leaves a hole in the side of the plane. We have had other things like fuselage failures and stuff. But the craziest story, Joe, that came out of this – People are finding iPhones that fell from the airplane 16,000 feet without a crack. How the heck does that happen? Is it the, you know, all those commercials, I keep asking myself why they keep talking about the titanium. Like why, why are they making such a big deal about the titanium? But maybe, maybe we're finding out, you know, that titanium is for real. Honestly, like I could not bring myself to watch the video. I mean, I don't have like extreme fear of flying or anything like that, but like, I just don't, I just don't need that in my life. You just expect that 
and all the statistics say that flying is safe and th- thankfully no one was hurt here and even um, that tragedy that happened in Tokyo with the two planes colliding in that rescue plane you know there was a minimal i mean obviously every loss of life is tragic but I, when i first saw the headline on that one i was like oh geez like a whole entire uh, passenger airliner went down but it did not they they crashed like on the tarmac so i know i know definitely half a dozen people lost their lives but it wasn't like the whole entire plane all this stuff is really crazy all this stuff is really scary what i don't know is like and i'm not sure about why this is going on like i saw some headline and i hope it was just clickbait i was just too just not in the mindset to read it at the time but i saw this headline that was like boeing asks government to just pass the max on various safety regulations i'm sure it's not as bad as the headline sounded but i'm just like this this aircraft has had so many issues i don't know if it was because it was rushed i don't know like what the deal is there like you gotta you gotta make the general public feel comfortable about that i i feel like a year ago i was gonna i flew my first 737 max and before i remember talking on this podcast to you about it and i was like oh and i think i also reached out to steve creasy of the dcl podcast because he flies for alaska airlines and i was just like how do you feel about the plane blah blah blah. Um, and it it took me like a little bit to because i know because i know how to read on the app like what type of plane i'm gonna have or use flighty or trip it pro like we've been talking about the last month and so i i just it, it's it's not good to get on a plane and just feel like a little bit disconcerted about it. You know, you want it's already stressful. Travel's already stressful. You don't want to have to worry about that. So I I really hope Boeing and whoever needs to um, figures this out. Yeah, and I really never know the history, and I still don't know. So I'm interested to kind of research the history more of these plugs and how often, how many models have them. I have seen them before on planes where you can tell there should be an emergency exit, but there isn't one. But I don't know how many aircraft are flying with them. If this has ever happened before, it is nuts. And you mentioned that Japan Airlines crash. Nobody on the plane, on the Japan Airlines plane was killed. It was the soldiers, I think it was Coast Guard in the smaller plane. They all were killed or five uh, crew members of that Coast Guard plane were killed that were hit. But the A350 with the Japan Airlines crash, that is the first composite airplane loss in history as far as like a fire. So watching that thing burn is nuts because it burns very differently than you would have on a steel plane because of the sort of the mesh of the composite material and you know that plane basically once they catch fire there's no putting them out it seems like Uh, but that was a a very crazy accident as well so yeah a lot going on in the aviation space i mean flying still overwhelmingly safe but i don't know like i i i feel like the max is yeah not that it's cursed i've flown on probably a couple dozen of them at this point i've flown on a lot of them and I even complained when I went to Canada earlier this year that Air Canada was hiding the name of the plane uh, on their safety materials. It didn't say Max anywhere. And uh, of course, Alaska doing it. Now, of course, the word Max is out everywhere in the media. I'm not saying it's a conspiracy. It's just if the airlines want to hide the word, maybe there's a problem with it. And maybe Boeing needs to be held to account because this shouldn't happen. I mean, it just shouldn't happen. And if it means that they don't put plugs and they have to build a solid fuselage and then create two different versions of the plane with the extra exit and not, 
then maybe do that. I don't know. I'm sure we're going to get yelled at by aviation experts. We're not trying to pretend that. But we're also big travelers. We have a lot of experience. And I think that is a valuable place because I think there's more people like us than there are like the av geeks who know every little thing about every little thing. I don't really give a crap. But I will tell you, I will not be sitting next to one of those plugs. I will make sure to check uh, seat maps that I'm not next to an open thing on a plane. Although... I don't know what really makes it different from sitting in an exit row other than the exit row door is exposed. So if there's a problem, maybe you could see it. Whereas this was behind a panel and you don't really know. I don't know. Crazy stuff. Yeah, I just think we are a little bit more in the know than others. But the general public is going to, like, you know, you have to you have to explain things in a way that makes sense to the general public. So I do think Boeing has to severely work on its messaging and you know, we need to figure this out. I love the extra space in the overhead bins. I remember that was the first thing I noticed about the 737 Max, but not at the cost of the, I would not get in a car that I knew one in a billion times, the car door just flies off for no reason, you know? So um, always wear your seatbelt too. Those overhead bins are great. It makes me wonder why it took them so long to be able to build bins like that. I'm guessing maybe technology, like whatever technology they had to have up there has miniaturized or something. But you are right. Like the bins in newer airplanes and specifically the Max planes for a narrow body are just fantastic. I mean, you can fit a full-size carry-on on its side. So not only does it fit everything, you can put a lot more bags on the plane. So you have a lot less of the issues with people, you know, having to gate check bags and fighting about that. And it helps with boarding. And uh, yeah, I love a lot about that. I like the mood lighting seats. Generally, that's up to the airplane, but any new airplane build, the seats are just uncomfortable and hard. And I don't know. But I had forgotten when I flew Frontier a few weeks ago, I had forgotten how hard their seats are. And, you know, because I've been flying legacy carriers. And I will say Frontier seats are definitely less padded than uh, legacy carriers, even like American with their or United with their slimline seats. So uh, there's one in their corner. So speaking of United, Joe, they are having a surprise adventure week this week. And now, unfortunately, it started on Monday and this is coming out Thursday, but there's still a couple days left and we don't know what's going to be. But basically every day this week, they're going to give a a redemption for 50,000 miles round trip to somewhere. And I think on Monday, this today, January 8th, as we're recording this, it is London. So we don't know what it'll be, but you should still have opportunity. If you're just hearing this for the first time on Thursday or Friday, the 11th and 12th, there are mysterious destinations these days, 25000 each way to London in economy, pretty good. That was just the normal price a couple of years ago, though. Yeah, I think it's it's cool when these airlines drop these sudden sales and promos and stuff like that. It is – I always wonder if it's only a week long, have you, like, kind of drummed up enough, I guess, drama to, like, get – the maximum number of eyeballs on it because, you know, I didn't find out about this until you brought it up. It's Monday. This whole thing should be over by the end of the week. You know, I, I, I always wonder it's annoying, right? But I always wonder if they tease that something's coming. I guess, I guess the promo people can't win either way, right? Because if you tease that something's coming, half the people, once they see what that tease is, you know, this happens at Disney all the time. Half the people, when you see what that tease is, they're like, that's it. And then, you know, they're all turned off because of it. But it is currently, you know, wave season, that time of the year where a lot of people are booking a lot of their travel. So I think it's smart of United to drop some sales now. 
Yeah, get everybody sort of locked in. It's not like this is the best deal in the world, 50,000 round trip to London, but given tight award space, yeah, any sale is a good sale and it's good to see it. And again, London was for Monday, so you're not going to get that. Every day is a mystery. So when you're listening to this on Thursday, Friday, check their site to see what destination. Hopefully we get more exotic ones. Of course, the downside, Joe, the longer the trip, the further away you're going, the more you're going to spend in economy. So, you know, keep that in mind. I know some people out there don't mind it at all. People like me try to fly in business when they can, but we'll fly in economy and then others will never turn right uh, when they go in there. I remember Nomos Coach, I saw those guys in Chicago and they famously will not turn right. Even on, I didn't even know this about them. I mean, I knew that they were very much into premium travel, but they were saying even flying Seattle to Portland, they do everything they can to get a first class seat. So that's an extreme, I would say. I'm sure they're not looking at this deal with any any excitement at all. There are a couple of new shopping portal offers as well for American and United. The American one runs through January 15th. You can earn up to 1,000 bonus miles when you spend $400, so an extra 2.5x. You can also get 500 when you spend 200, so same 2.5x. So that's pretty good. United has one that expires January 17th. A little bit different, 1,000 miles, but you only need to spend 300, so you're getting, what, 3.33 and 500 miles if you only spend 150. So a little bit more lucrative for United. Always a good thing. I don't think we always see these early in the year after the big push for the holidays. So it's nice to to see this. If you have some shopping, pick up some extra miles. Yeah, I feel like these are normally things that we see for the holidays. So it's good that they're there. And it's nice if you get a couple a year, you know, it's like 1500 per time it happens, then you know, 4,500, like you're halfway to uh, a war flight domestically. And so as we say, better than kicking the head, better than a sharp stick in the eye. And so it's good to always keep up with these promos and just remember to use them. Speaking of remembering to use things, Sean, I did do that last, I forgot to update everyone. I did manage to use my cashback card for those last two weeks of 2023, I had talked about putting in my wallet. I just want to confirm that I actually did use it. So thanks, Benji, for encouraging me to do that through your articles. But now I'm back to putting spending bonuses on like JetBlue and World of Hyatt and stuff like that. Do you find that I always find that I do a lot of spending in January just to like get things started. I mean, there's like estimated taxes and then like a lot of my insurance bills and stuff and real estate bills are in January. But I find January is like a high spend month for me, even more so than December sometimes, because we're not, we don't buy that many gifts. Yeah. For business, I think I do. And then I do try to get started early. I'm trying to get my, so I have it on my list for this week to get all my platinum credits done for the airline stuff. I have a couple I need to do uh, for cards I need to cancel, but I have it. I have time scheduled to actually do that. I'm very excited about that. Other than that, I don't think so, but I do a lot of sort of toy spending and a lot of business spending in January. So it is always a good time. And just anecdotally, as a reseller, as somebody who sold, January is a very strong month. Uh, It's not obviously as good as November or December, but it's uh, much stronger than February, March. It's a very strong month. People still buy a lot of things post-holidays. They're spending their gift cards. They're doing all that. So there is a lot of spending that goes on. And it's interesting that they're just, you know, kind of buying into that. Like, don't forget about us here in January and you can earn those extra miles. There was another small story I wanted to talk about. We covered it on milestomemories.com about Google settling this $5 billion lawsuit for tracking incognito mode activity. And the main reason I want to cover this 
is, and I think this is very travel related, is because the reason this lawsuit exists is because people have thought that going into incognito mode in Google Chrome or even the private mode in any browser sort of protects them from their data being taken, from people tracking them and stuff like that. All it really does is prevent your computer from showing that. So, you know, if you're going to a website that you don't want somebody to see, you don't want it to show up in your history, you use incognito, but the servers are tracking you, the websites are often tracking you, and it's not really private what you're doing. So people should know that. That's what this lawsuit is about. VPNs are the best way to sort of secure your privacy while traveling. Lots of good VPNs out there. We, you know, I've used ExpressVPN most recently, liked it, but I've used many others over the years. And you know, it's always a good idea to kind of look at recent reviews because I found that VPNs get overloaded over time. Sometimes they run specials and then they're slow. Others, you know, if you're going somewhere like mainland China, you need a specific one that will work through the Great Firewall. But if you're really concerned with privacy while traveling, you should be using a VPN. And let this be a reminder that incognito mode doesn't really protect you. Yeah, I. it's just, it, it doesn't even say, if you pay attention when you load up incognito mode, it says that your ISP can still see where you're going and things like that. You just have to kind of read through the fine print. So, you know, I think a VPN is helpful. I think the one thing you should know, because like I often use incognito mode for like non-nefarious things, right? You know, when I'm on the dark web, obviously I'm going to be in incognito mode. Just kidding. That's not good enough if you're going to go on the dark web. But, you know, when I'm doing work with websites that like are really annoying about their cookies, not that the cookies exist because the cookies exist on all websites, but it's like if you were there like yesterday, the website breaks JetBlue looking at you, right? The website breaks because like it doesn't, I don't know, the the cookies just like confuse it or whatever. So I use incognito for all of that. But I know that some of these websites, they block Disney, sometimes will block me out when I'm doing work. I use incognito to avoid the cookies and I can tell it has blocked me out like via my IP address for some reason. Because if I go on my phone and go to the same website using my cellular, it's fine. Your data is visible whether you're in incognito mode or not. We just want to reiterate that. Like, I'm going to say it again. You should set it on. It's worth re-saying. All incognito does is when your spouse or partner looks at your web browser history, they can't see it. Yeah, and I guess that's valuable for certain things. Like I said, I use Incognito Moto just the same reason you do, uh, because there's websites I use that I have multiple logins where I've had issues with cookies, so I go Incognito. It's obviously nice to get certain offers to show up. We've talked about that because it's kind of detaching your cookies from that site. It's not seeing the cookies that you have in your normal mode, so it's useful but it's not great for privacy. And we need to have a wider conversation about data privacy and travel too, because I will admit that I have been somewhat careless over the years with VPNs and you know connecting to public Wi-Fi and not always being uh, proactive with that. And who knows what information has been taken. What's funny is back when we first started traveling, Joe, in 2007, the big thing back then was you had to go to internet cafes a lot of the time. Very rare could you find someplace with Wi-Fi. So a lot of times you'd have to go do there to check your email and stuff. And almost every internet cafe had key loggers on the things. So the way key loggers worked back then is it would just track the keystrokes, but it wouldn't see what field you were in. So when I would type a password, 
I would type part of the password, click out of the field, keep typing, click back in the field, do another part of the password and do that. Things have gotten a little bit better with obviously password managers and being able to do it, but you should be aware that, uh, yeah, it's not safe for incognito. I'm glad that this brings it to it. And just about it, just imagine that everybody can see everything you're doing, unless you're on a VPN, on a secure connection, you should do that. So I just thought it was worth highlighting that. One last thing, Joe, before we go, Jasmine's heading to Mexico uh, next month or in a couple months for her grandmother's birthday. And I'm trying to book a flight for that. And I'm so tired of booking flights to Mexico. And I'm going to tell you why, Joe, because if you book with miles, taxes to Mexico are pretty high, right? So you still have a decent cash portion that you have to pay. And airlines like Aeromexico are just astronomical in their prices. And so, yeah, you can get a mileage redemption on Aeromexico, maybe even two cents each. You're still paying a lot in taxes, all of that. Well, there's tons of budget carriers around Mexico and we could fly there, but I can't use points for that. Most of the travel portals don't include the budget carriers to even redeem points for that. Of course, I could use a travel eraser card, but oftentimes the rates on the budget carriers in Mexico are one third what Aeromexico is. So if I add up what the taxes are going to be on an award, plus the mileage that I'm spending, I'm spending still 2X to fly them. And now I got to go to a budget carrier and then I have to pay cash out of pocket like I said, the arrival card or those other travel of the venture, their travel eraser cards can be good for that. But I don't know. I, I just never get satisfied flying to Mexico because of this. And I guess maybe it's, we have a lot of budget carriers in Vegas going to Mexico. So maybe that's why, but I don't know, I'm, I'm really interested if other people run into this scenario where they're pissed that they have to pay cash for a ticket because there's no good mileage option. That's not a ripoff for them. Yeah. It's weird that like sometimes, and I also wonder if like the Las Vegas, yeah, maybe it's just your city. You know, but but that that being said, you probably have like way more connections to Mexico. Well, obviously, you have way more ways to get to Mexico via plane than I do here from Boston. So I think that's annoying. That reminds me, Sean, I, I don't know if you have ever done this, but yesterday, last night, I learned that Delta does not prevent you from booking two itineraries for the same day and actually for the same exact flight. For my return from Icon of the Seas, I wanted to fly JetBlue back from Fort Lauderdale, but the I just, it's just a little bit too tight. It would be like a 10, 20 a.m. flight, and I need to get from the Miami cruise port to there. I think I could probably do it getting off the ship at 7.30 or 8, but just don't want to risk it. I have my son in tow. And so I booked an 11.47 Delta flight from Miami instead. Booked it twice, Sean. Booked it once in November. Booked it again in December not knowing that I'd done it and I was going to check my itinerary and stuff. I guess that's why I need TripIt Pro, guys, because uh, I went to go check my itinerary and stuff and I was like, two confirmation numbers? And I was like, did they give me separate confirmation numbers for myself and my son? JetBlue actually does not let you do this. If you book two flights on the same day between the same city pairs, the second one, it ends up auto-canceling it. But I'm glad I, I'm glad I found that before You know, I, I realized I had four seats on the same flight. I've almost done it before. I think I've talked about it. Maybe I did do it. I don't remember. I know on the show, somebody will probably got call me out on that. But yeah, I've certainly been in the process of booking a flight where I already had it booked and forgot. And like you said, it's always good. I mean, I have like, you know, TripIt. I don't have TripIt Pro right now, but I have things where I can view it, but I don't always go in there and look. Uh, yeah, it's easy to do that when you're thinking, when you're doing as much. And for you, you're booking so much travel for so many people too. So I feel like you're probably overloaded with that. And, you know, I feel like it's an easy mistake to make. 
So you should forgive yourself. I'd be glad. It's better than Thai Airways a few years ago, where my son, who has a different date of birth and middle initial than I do, and I were booked on the same flight. I was in first class. He was in economy. And they kept canceling one of our tickets, saying it was the same person, despite a different middle name and different date of birth. So I don't know what's better, that they just let you have both tickets or they over cancel when they shouldn't. I don't know which side is a better side to be on. Yeah, I think I think I would rather them auto cancel. Um, it gets annoying a little bit, but that way I'm just, you know, old brain, right? Just, just, just do it for me because I'm not going to figure it out myself. So yeah, I, I wonder how many people out there have done that, have booked multiple flights. And I guess it's just another reason, like you said, flighty. And we, we got to be more reliant on technology, Joe. We're going to have to get these implants into our brains just so that we can be in sync with all of our stuff, right? It'll just, the the network will just tell us that we've done it because we'll just be you know plugged in like the Borg. So that's the future. And then we don't have to worry. Exactly. Let's Let's sign off into our dystopian future, Sean. So where in this dystopian realm can people find you when they're not listening to this fine podcast? You can find me at As Joe Flies all over social media. If you're looking to book a Disney or a cruise trip in cash, Joseph Chung at Travelmation.net. What about you, Sean? At Miles to Memories all over social media. We got the YouTube Vegas going. Just did a cool tour of Laughlin plus our normal news shows, youtube.com forward slash Miles to Memories. And for all of our posts, podcasts, videos, everything we do, milestomemories.com. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time. See ya. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.